Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. How many of y'all ever heard that life is not a sprint, it's a marathon? How many of y'all ever heard that before? Okay. Uh, the reality for us as believers is that yes, it is a marathon, but it's a relay race. And the thing about a relay race is you know, the, the indicator that it's a relay race is there is a baton. There's something that's being handed off. And so a couple months ago, maybe now, we had the world championships for track and field. Most of y'all probably don't follow most of that, but I love it anytime our nation has an opportunity to compete on the world stage. Uh, but the thing about our track and field teams, that especially around our relay teams, we've struggled. And the reason why is because of the handoff. And so even in the world championships, I, I believe it was the women's four by 400 relay, which is a, it's a really hard competitive race, but we were highly favored to win. But the issue was that we missed a handoff. There's a handoff zone. There's a zone where you have to hand that baton off. And if it doesn't happen inside of that zone, then you're disqualified. And that's what happened. They missed the handoff zone and they were disqualified, but they'd already set up for there to be an interview right after the race. And everyone had thought that it was gonna be an interview after winning. And it's a little awkward when they're standing there and they're mad and they're upset, but it's also clear that no one wants to take responsibility. There is a chance that that can happen with us when it comes to the next generation. That we try to shed the responsibility that we had to have a good handoff. And the truth is that vision is always fragile. And it's always just one generation away from being dropped. And so I'm not starting off with the most encouraging tone, but it's, it's important that we have the urgency in our spirit of what this means. There's a weightiness to the importance of having a good handoff to the next generation. In Judges, it talks about a generation in chapter two, the Israelites that came out of Egypt and saw all the miracles. I think all of us would agree that if we were seeing the supernatural miracles and move of God, it would be difficult for us to ever drift away from the things of God. And that certainly, hopefully, it would be very clear to our children and to our children's children about who God is and how he moved. But looks, look at what happened. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things that the Lord had done, but just three verses later in verse 10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, once they'd all passed away, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel in one generation completely gone. The stats would suggest 
that we could be dealing with a very similar situation if we don't wake up and see our responsibility to have a good handoff to the next generation. Some of the stats, and we're gonna talk about some of this today, 39% of the next generation have no religious affiliation whatsoever. Only 3% read the Bible every day. These are Christians. 40% of Gen Z are Christians, don't read the Bible at all. Two thirds of the next generation battle with depression. One third battle with suicidal thoughts. So yes, this is an opportunity to showcase our youth, to let people step up and lead and serve all over our church, but it is also an opportunity for us to make sure that we're keeping our eye on the ball and that we are not passively, apathetically, and complacency, com complacently letting the next generation fall away from the things of God. So what we're gonna talk about today is gonna give some perspective of what it's like for the youth, what it's like leading the youth. And we've got a great panel that is diverse and has lots of different phases of life and different ways that they're serving this vision. So let me introduce them uh, to you. First of all, uh, we've got Graceland here. She's a sophomore here at Cabot. So pretty awesome. I don't know about you, as a sophomore, I didn't have the guts to sit on stage in a Q&A panel. So I'm proud of you for being up here. And then we have Chelsea, and Chelsea is a mental health professional who her and her husband, uh, Bryce, the, the little guy over here who I could clearly beat wrestling, uh, they serve with our youth every week. Uh, and then we have Caleb, who is a teacher and a coach in our school system. We appreciate all of our teachers and coaches. And then Jason, who serves in the Air Force, and we're thankful for all of our armed service men and women. Uh, so has, has a lot of leadership roles in that. His wife, Melissa, teaches geometry at Cabot High, and uh, they've got two sons, uh, one that's in ninth grade and one that's nine years old. And so, and they are very involved in serving with our youth. And so I wanna just ask them a few questions, and I think that their perspective and some of their feedback uh, I know me hearing it has already helped me, and I think that it's going to help some of you. So I'm going to start here with Graceland. Uh, from your perspective as a high school student who loves the Lord, and that's clear, what would you tell us as the church are a couple of the biggest challenges that you see in your generation? I feel like one of the main issues or challenges in our generation is finding our, identi our identity, and I see all the time where people go to ungodly things to find themselves when the only way to find your identity is through Christ. And I feel like people are searching and searching and they're going to bad habits or non-Christian people and they're finding things to kind of heal the pain before they find Christ. And God puts people in their life that are, are Christ-led, and I feel like I am one of those people that lead them closer to God, and I'm really glad that God has used me in that. Amen. And I also feel like people just going to school and comparing themselves to every other to all the girls and like, oh, I wish I was as pretty as her, da da da. I think that 
like in the Bible, it says that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made and God put us here for a purpose. And I feel like identity is one of the biggest challenges through our generation. Well, Grayson, I'm thankful that we have young ladies like you in our schools that are waking up every day and making it your aim and goal to know who you are in Christ 100%. There are so many things that try to scream and yell and get the attention of the identity of our young people. And so it's amazing that there are so many students and it's growing all the time of students that understand that the only way they're gonna find fulfillment, the only way they're gonna find joy and peace is by knowing who they are in Christ. So keep setting that example. Let's give it up for Graceland, appreciate you. Let's go to Caleb next. Caleb, school teacher, coach, leader here at NLC Youth. You're around students a lot. God bless you. Uh, from your perspective, what do you see as a strength or a potential issue or opportunity for this generation and their faith? Yeah, a big strength that I see is students, once they choose a path to live on, they tend to stick to that path now. When you look at that, it can be a really good thing or a really bad thing, depending on what they choose to live for. Um, but if a student will just walk through the doors of a church and catch fire for Jesus, that is a huge strength that they have because they're going to want to bring other people to what they have seen. Um, and you see that through the negative things that students tend to live for, like Grayson was saying. So if the church could just grab a hold of those students and get them to live on fire for Jesus, they would stick to that. Yeah. And they would want to reach their friends for that also. Um, a, a big struggle I see in our next generation is just the things that they've had to live through. Um, now, not everyone goes through super, very traumatizing things, but everyone goes through something. Yeah. And because of these things that kids have to live with and they don't know the proper ways to release those types of things, there's a big spirit of aggression that has a hold of this generation. Just being in the school district every day, uh, kids get set off very easily. And once they do get set off, it's either fist words or text messages that are flying and they're very hurtful to other students. Uh, now, this is something that if those students found the correct release and the correct answer for those problems, which obviously is Jesus, um, that spirit of aggression could be turned into a spirit of passion to witness to other students. Um, just getting them through the door, I think, is, is the answer to that. Yeah, you know, I think when I think about that, I think about how the fact that the word talks about that before any person has ever taken one breath that God has placed inside of them gifts and talents and a calling and abilities, regardless of whether or not every person understands that they have that or who it's from. But the fact is that these strengths and these natural gifts and abilities that are inside of us, any one of us, if they're not submitted under the spirit of God and the standard of his, his word, any one of those things can become sin. Even things that seem to be good things, unsubmitted to the Holy Spirit, wind up becoming struggles, sins, issues. But if you can take that passion, if you can take that aggression and you can get it harnessed by the Holy Spirit, if you can get it 
led and under the standard of the word of God, then that will be a force to which the gates of hell cannot prevail against because they are going to be passionate. This generation, they're gonna be passionate one way or another if we can get them connected to the only thing that'll ever bring them fulfillment through their passion, it, it, it's gonna be a game changer. So that's good perspective, Kayla, I appreciate that. Uh, Chelsea, it's come to you. You're a mom, got some young kids, leader of students, mental health professional. What do you see with this generation that us as adults, parents need to know right now and, and what are some practical steps that we can walk out of here with? So there's a few things. Um, one thing is whenever I meet with students, whether in the therapy room or on Wednesday night, they don't want anything sugar-coated. They want the blueprint. They want the answer right then. They just want, they want the knowledge. They are a generation that are hungry for the truth, and we as a church need to be the ones to give them that biblical truth. Um, they live in a world where there's so many things out there that is giving them their truth, but we need to be the ones to give them the capital T truth and how they can live their lives for Jesus. Um, another thing is this generation is struggling with depression at an all-time high, um, according to research, um, as the stats on the screen showed. And a lot of that is because of social media. Um, social media portrays what the perfect athlete should be or what the perfect scholar or appearance or son, daughter, even moms, dads, you know, it portrays this of how we should be, but we as the church know that we need to build them up in who Christ wants them to be um, because that's what's going to sustain in the long run. Um, in 1 Samuel 16, 7, when David was being anointed as king, it says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Um, worldly accolades are fine. Um, sports, great. Grades, great. I'm not telling you to go fail a math test or anything, but... We need to put stock in our kids of who they are in Christ, not just what they can do on a baseball field, on a football field, in the classroom. We need to fill them up with what Christ says about them um, and not just their worldly accolades. That's good. That's really important. That's good stuff, Chelsea. Let's go to Jason. Uh, Jason, you recently got to baptize your son, Aiden, right here at church, and that's a huge moment for him, I'm sure for you and Melissa, your wife as well. What has worked for you and Melissa in raising your boys in church while balancing everything, balancing school and extracurriculars and sports, everyday life, what's worked for you? Mm. I, <clears throat> that definitely was a top five day. He was listening and on, he's in the back for the green room and he heard this in the first service and he was like, top five, I shouldn't be, shouldn't I be higher than that? So <laughs> Aiden, if you're listening right now, top four, okay? okay. Uh, married your mom. There you go. You were born. Mason was born. And then being able to baptize you a couple weeks I'm ago. I'm sure your salvation's somewhere there too, probably. We'll just clear, I'll clear this that up. True. I mean, that's a given, people. It's a given. Thank it's, you. 
It supersedes any rating. Perfect. So, so you're now, welcome, Aiden, Jason. you're back to top five days. Okay? <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Uh, but all, all of that, like, I, I mean, it, it's celebrating and relishing those types of things. And I remember driving into church that morning a couple weeks ago. We hadn't even baptized him yet, but we knew it was coming. And I mean, I'm bawling like a baby and worshiping Jesus the whole way in. And it's because it's, it's, those, are, those are very special, special things. And life gets busy, okay? 20-year uh, military career. My wife teaches, yes, the sports, the things and this. And I'll just say time is fleeting. Tomorrow isn't promised to us. We have today and we have to make the most of today. And so with that, it comes down to being obedient because we can get busy, 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 and we use busyness as a crutch sometimes, but when you look at it as busyness or reframe it as kingdom business, the difference is obedience and finding your purpose in the Lord. And so we really, Melissa and I both, we pour into our boys and our family and our ministries of understanding that whatever we have to give today, tomorrow, whatever the Lord blesses us with to have, we're, we're gonna pour that right back in and be obedient in that. And it's, it's not this spirit of busyness. We push back on that hard. And it's, it's this idea of kingdom business. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 58 is a life verse for me that just talks about um, being fully committed to the work of the Lord because you know that's not done in vain. Uh, and the things that we're talking about up here, uh, these don't have to be home runs that we're hitting out there with our kids every day. I'm not talking about the actual sport of baseball. I'm saying like, we don't have to do these huge monumental things. It can just being obedient in what do you do on a Monday night? Oh, well, let's just put on a show. Let's put on Disney plus or Netflix or whatever. No, let's take a step back and do a family Bible study on Monday nights and knowing that the Lord's gonna bless that time because just the other day, Mason, our nine-year-old, we're, we're reading the word on the front porch and we're, we're doing a study on John and he brings his Bible out, not on a Bible study night. He brings it out and he's like, I just wanna read through John while you're on the porch because that's what we're going through. Balling like a baby on the front porch as my little nine-year-old is reading the word. And I'm I feel like, like you cry a lot, Jason. I do, I do. Uh, it's good though, it's, it's, it's really just good. Good tears, I promise you. But it's, it's just these things of understanding that the Lord is moving and working and we're gonna be obedient in that. And it's, good, it's not about the busyness. Yeah, it's good. So I, I think you just need to hear him clearly, okay? This is a family who is just as busy. They have just as full of a schedule as anyone else, okay? They, they got kids at two different schools, balancing extracurricular, balancing things that they're doing. They're leading here at the church big time. They have their careers. They have all those things. But understand, even though he might have messed up his top five, what he hasn't messed up is this. This is the way that you prioritize life. It's not Jesus, then family, then work, then hobbies, then sports. It's Jesus first in my marriage, Jesus first in my career, Jesus first in sports and extra careers. It's always through the filter of how does this help facilitate kingdom business and purpose in my life? And, it, and when you look at it through that, you will have to say no. But there is something so powerful about a holy no mm -hmm. that keeps you connected to what really matters while still having the freedom and liberty to do the things that are good. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, let's uh, come back to Chelsea. Right? Yes. Uh, you've been leading students for four to five years now. Mm -hmm. And uh, what are you 
what's something that you're really encouraged about that you see in the next generation? Well, there's a lot. Um, but I think one is just the steadfastness that this youth has. Um, Caleb kind of talked about it, like once they're in, like they're all in. And I think I've noticed that now and in the previous years that I've been serving, um, just the dedication that the youth has to this church, to the capital C church, to Christ, it's just something that the Holy Spirit um, can bring. And that's really encouraging. Um, I have heard and witnessed firsthand accounts of how our youth has been bold and living out their faith in their families, in the locker rooms, in the classrooms, um, even in relationships with one another. Um, so that's really encouraging. Um, another thing that's really encouraging to me is that Satan can't create anything new. And what I mean by that is he can only counteract the goodness of Jesus. Um, in Deuter Deuteronomy 32, 39, um, Moses was speaking of the Lord and how the Lord was going to vindicate his people. And it says, see now that I, even I am he, and there is no God beside me. I will kill and I will make alive. I will wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. There is a lot of wicked things going on in society. I see it every day in the therapy room. I see it on Wednesday nights. I see it on social media, the news. But I honestly think that's because we as a church body and the youth is proclaiming boldly the name of Jesus. And Satan is just trying to counteract that. But in this church, he is going to have to try really hard because the youth is really proclaiming the name of Jesus. And um, I missed my three action steps. Can I do those super quick from the last I one? I suppose. <laughs> Sorry. I will permit it. Okay. Um, so the action steps, um, ask hard questions. Um, we need to be intertwined in our kids' lives all the time. Um, A, so that they know that we care. B, so that we can extinguish those lies that Satan tries to, um, you know, attempt to get into their minds. So ask the really hard questions and be prepared to answer those. <laughs> Um, number two, provide space for them to remember the Sabbath. Um, depression, like I said, is at an all-time high. So having that time to physically and mentally and biblically um, replenish is something that's really good for them and will actually reduce those depression symptoms. Um, and then number three, make time for unplugged family time. Um, Jason kind of mentioned that, but it might be, it might be like pulling teeth at first. Um, trust me, I have two little ones and they love their electronics, but um, from what I've heard and the feedback I've gotten from clients and from youth is that they wish that their family would have started sooner on that unplugged family time just because the relationships grew and it was easier to have conversations with their parents, grandparents, whenever they felt like they were actually being listened to. So. I think that's really good. Uh, on the, the asking hard questions, uh, the enemy will lie to you <laughs> maybe to intimidate you, like, I really hope my kids don't ask me something, fill in the blank, whatever it might be. 
And, and here's what I would say. You don't have to know all the answers. That's also why it's really important that you're plugged into biblical community. Because you have a confidence when you know that you're not doing this all alone, that when your kid comes to you and asks you a really tough question, that you can say, you know what, I'm not exactly sure how to answer that, but we're gonna get the answer. We're gonna work through this together, okay? Uh, but asking your student the hard question, like even the embarrassing questions, here's the reality. Your students have access to everything. Everything, all information, okay? They're going to learn about everything from somewhere or someone. Do you want them to learn from everywhere outside of your home or do you want them to learn from you? And what I mean by that is the struggles are getting younger and younger. The things that maybe I struggled with when I was in high school, now third, fourth, and fifth graders are struggling with those same things. So if you can't start opening up these conversations and dialogues about the hard things, the embarrassing things, sexual struggles, eating disorders, boyfriend and girlfriend dynamics, those types of things, if you're not having biblical conversations inside of the home and asking those difficult questions inside of the home, they will be getting educated by the world and they will not have a biblical view or biblical standard. So you've gotta be willing to engage in those conversations. It's really important. Uh, let's go back to Caleb. Caleb, as a teacher, coach, youth leader, what would be a piece of advice or counsel that uh, you would give parents or adults as we walk out today? Yeah, so two things. Uh, the first one is to really appreciate the time that you have with your students. Uh, just being inside the school district every day. If your student is at home after the school day ends, it's because they're choosing to be there. With all of the clubs and orgs and sports and everything that the public school system has to offer, they could be out of the household until late in the night, I promise you. So if they're there, it's because they want to be in your presence. So take advantage of that. You know, ask your kid how their day was and really listen, because a lot of times that's all a student wants is to know that their parent wants to listen to how their day was, what they're struggling with and things like that. And then if it comes to a point, offer advice or help, but really getting that first step down of just listening and letting your teen or preteen or child know that they're being heard by you, a lot of times it will just make their day. And then the second thing is to hold your students accountable for their alone time with Christ. And at first, this could look like a family devotional or Bible study or prayer time before bed. And that's great to really root that in them. But eventually, it needs to look more like the parents taking a step back in a supportive role in that alone time with Christ and your student really going after God by themselves in the word and in worship and in prayer. Because we only have a limited amount of time with them. If we don't teach them how to do that on their own, once they get out of your house and into college, the likelihood of them continuing that without you being there to hold their hand through it is slim. Yeah. So really just supporting them, asking them what they're reading about. You know, just having that accountability to help counteract the distractions that they have will go a long way. 
I think it, I think it's really good to understand the difference between uh, those seasons where you have to parent, and 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 sometimes that's through authority, because they're still young, they don't know any better, but there comes that season where you begin to transition from being the parent who tells them what to do to being a coach that is beginning to leverage relationship and influence to where they convince themselves that it's what they want to do. You can't do that without attaching to eternal purpose. There's no greater motivator than something that's bigger than themselves and there's nothing bigger than eternity. There's nothing bigger than them understanding that. So that's the motivator. But I think what he kept saying is you ask, you ask. I don't know about you, I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit doesn't come to me. Most of the time, the Holy Spirit won't come to you with a rebuke. The Holy Spirit will come to you with a question because the Holy Spirit knows that in the process of asking us questions and as we answer those questions, the strongest revelation any person will ever have is self-revelation. And I think it's really important that we ask spirit-led, biblically-based questions of our students that get them thinking about eternity, that get them thinking about their purpose because as they answer those questions and they have revelation, those will be things that they carry with them for the rest of their lives. But being a really good listener, I'm not saying there's not times that you don't have to come and instruct again or even rebuke, but accountability should transition from a place of rebuke to a place of question asking at some point. Otherwise, you're not setting them up to begin to think about their own personal relationship with Jesus. So got time for one more. I wanna come back here to, to Graceland again. Just, you get, you get the last thing from the panel. What would you wanna share with the church, with us today about your generation? I think that everyone should know that we have a purpose and God created us to build his kingdom and we're the next generation. And I've witnessed that this generation is so hungry and on fire for God. And 1 Timothy 4.12 says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So I think that just because we're young, you shouldn't cut us short and we can build the kingdom of God. Amen, amen. How many of y'all believe that? So all those stats that I, I read earlier, they're, they're scary and they're discouraging, but again, they don't have to be the stats that are true in this church. We can change those stats. But I think we have to all understand that we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility. And the most important thing that you can do is you can take responsibility for your spiritual legacy. That's what we have an opportunity for, a spiritual legacy. What do I mean? What I mean is, we live in a community, a lot of it is built around our kids, it's built around schools, and, and as a result, it's built around everything that that involves. And there's a lot of good things that are out there that are available that aren't necessarily God things. And I think that we have to make the decision that the priority has to first and foremost be the things that last forever. So in your life, you may be thinking about your legacy in regards to your career, 
And you might be thinking about how you're leading your kids in regards to sports, their academics, and all those things are fine and good. But at the end of the day, if we don't take responsibility for the spiritual legacy of our families, then we will miss the handoff. So we have to be really honest with ourselves and say, what what are we setting up the next generation for? And whether you have kids right now or not, you have a role to play in this. But here's what the word promises us. If we will take ownership for our spiritual legacy, here's what the word promises us. In Psalm 92, 12, it says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. I'm not an arborist, but I'm pretty sure every tree has to be planted for it to grow. And it has to have the right environment for it to grow. If you're not planted, your roots can't do what they're intended to do. So a couple of things on that. If you're not staying consistent, your roots aren't gonna be healthy. You have to stay consistent. You have to be planted. The dream of our church for this next generation is not that they have a great middle or high school youth experience in services. It's that they grab a hold and attach to with righteous passion their purpose that God has given them. There's nothing more important. This passage, we have the cedar tree and a palm tree. In, in Psalms, it talks about the olive tree. And just like these trees, they're planted, but especially when they're planted at a young age, here are the results. The cedar tree, they grow like a cedar. I've been in Northern Israel, Southern Lebanon, and, and I've seen these huge trees, cedar trees. They're the strongest and tallest trees in all of Israel. There's forests of them. They can grow to be over 100 feet tall. But they've always been a sign of strength and confidence. It's one of the reasons why they're one of the, the primary building components of the temple. That's what they represent. A godly confidence that nothing in the world can touch comes from a person walking in their God-given purpose. We have an opportunity. And I've seen students that were too afraid to even look somebody in the eye, but they have an encounter with God at a service, at a conference, a retreat, on a missions trip, and they come back ready to storm the gates of hell with a water pistol because they got a hold of God's purpose for their life. It changes everything. If they're planted, if they have biblical community, then you have the olive tree. In Psalm 52, verse eight, but I am like an olive tree thriving in the house of God. The secret with olive trees, they can live up to 2000 years old. There are olive trees right at the base of the Mount of Olives where Jesus came down the mountain. There is a grove of, of olive trees that were there when Jesus was there. They're over 2000 years old, but the secret is they share a root system. They're connected to one another. They share nutrients, they share water so that the whole grove can be strong, so that the whole grove can thrive. 
And that is the picture of what it means to be connected to the body of Christ. You are connected to be a part of the body of Christ. That's why it's called the body. You are a part. So it's important that our students understand that and they see us living the example of it. I'm so thankful that in spite of all the difficulties that we had in our family with me growing up, parents divorce, moving back and forth a little bit between my parents, seasons of homelessness, seasons of, of, of financial difficulty and on all these things, no matter what though, both of my parents, whether I was with my mom or with my dad, they made a priority. We're gonna be in church. We're gonna be at youth. Like I could get out of going to school by faking a cough, but I could be throwing up. Like, I've, you know, I've got a stomach bug and they're like, that's all right, we'll give you some Pepto, you're going to youth, right? Because it's not really that extreme, but somewhat. I mean, but, but I'm so thankful that even in those seasons where it was difficult, there was a season where my dad and my brother and I drove an hour and a half one way to go to church. And I want to tell you, as a teenager, I didn't like it. But every time I'd get there, I had some of those powerful encounters with God during those seasons when we just made it the priority. No matter what, we're going to be connected to the body of Christ. And then the palm tree. Flourish like a palm tree. What does a palm tree have to do with church? Have you ever watched the news reporting where, where a hurricane's getting ready to hit, make landfall? And you got that reporter and they're standing there like leaning into the wind, getting ready to get blown over. But if you look in the background, you can see the palm trees. And you can see that those palms are like stretched out and they're almost going horizontal because of how the wind is blowing. But the thing is, even with how crazy it looks in that moment, so many times when that storm has passed, guess what's standing? Palm trees, they're still there. So what that means for us is this. If we're planted in his word, if we're planted in the truth of God's word, then when the storms of life and temptations and all those things come, we may bend, but we won't break. And our people have to have that. If they're founded in the word, even when the world tries to bring its truth, they'll know the truth and it will not return void. Planted in godly purpose, planted in biblical community, and planted in the word. If we can make that, that the priority, we're gonna nail the handoff. And this next generation will accomplish everything that God has for them. Amen? Amen. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Just wanna make sure that I give an opportunity, like I try to do every week, to recognize that there might be a couple people in this room, even now, that you're completely disconnected from purpose. You're disconnected from any kind of peace and any kind of confidence of knowing that there's a plan for your life. There's something bigger out there for you. Without Jesus, it's impossible to have real hope. Without Jesus, it's impossible to have true purpose. It's only through him and it's only through a surrender to him that you actually become the person that you were created to be. It's the only way. There is no other way. 
everything else will be temporary. Everything else will pass away, no matter how strong you feel it is, no matter how smart you feel that you are. It will all pass away. The only thing that doesn't is relationship. Your relationship with the Lord, a purpose in Him. And so even though we've been talking about youth and we've been talking about the next generation, I can't help but think that there's probably a couple people here where maybe even as we were talking, you, you felt the lies of the enemy, you felt guilt or shame or condemnation telling you, you missed it, it's too late. You're too old, you had your chance, you missed your purpose. Or even young people or a younger generation that says, I've heard this speech before, but if you only knew what I did, if you only knew how bad I've been, if you only knew about this sin, you know that there's no way and so I just wanna to speak to the lies and command silence in the name of Jesus. And I wanna to speak to the God created need and every single person to know their creator, to know their savior. And if you're here and you know that that's you, and, but you recognize I've never truly surrendered to him. I've never confessed Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And maybe you're ready to do that right now. Don't let the moment pass. The word says that if you are willing to confess and believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and was raised from the grave, then you can be saved. And if you're in this place and you recognize that you need to confess that you need him, I wanna pray with you. And I'm gonna ask you just to admit it by putting your hand up right now and say, I need him. I need him, James. I'm ready to call on him as my Lord and Savior. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. You say, I need to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I got you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. I got you. Anyone else, I need to call on Jesus right now. I'm away from him. Got you, dude. Proud of you, bro. Anyone else? Young people, older people, both responding. Yes. Anyone else? I'm away from him. I'm tired of living this way. Got you, bro. Thank you, sir. Anyone else? I'm ready to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I got you, man. Anyone else? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Yeah. Holy Spirit, do what you do in only the way that you can do it. Anyone else? I know that's me. I'm not gonna fake it anymore. I'm ready to be real. I'm ready to admit, confess, and surrender to him as my Lord and Savior.
Anyone else? I got you. I got you. I got you, big man. Way to be bold, dude. Anyone else? Yes, ma'am. Anyone else? Yes, sir. I got you, bro. presence of God. There's nothing like it. Isn't it amazing how if you just give him a little bit of space, he wants to move, he wants to work. Anyone else? Father, thank you. Thank you for being here, and we recognize, Holy Spirit, that you're with us. You're moving in this room. You're moving in people's lives and in their hearts. We're so humbled by that. Let us never make it ordinary. If you said that you need to call on Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'd encourage you. Go public with that. Tell somebody. Tell somebody today. When given the opportunity, I'd encourage you to go public through water baptism, but right there, we're gonna just say a prayer. And I just want everybody to repeat this prayer if you don't mind. This is an initiating conversation of relationship. The fact is that God already sees your heart. It's important for us to put a little bit of words to what he's already doing inside. So everybody repeat this. Say, Jesus, I need you. I'm broken. I'm lost. I can't save myself. I believe with even a little bit of faith. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, for me. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you rose from the grave. You defeated sin. You defeated death so that I can live. I wanna live for you, not for me, not for the world. I wanna live for you. So I turn, I turn away from the world. I turn away from what I want and I turn towards you. Lead me by your spirit, by your word. Help me get connected to the body of Christ so that I can live my purpose in you. Jesus, I thank you so much for so many that just said that prayer. 
We're thankful that this is a place of salvation. We give you glory. We give you honor for it. In Jesus' name, amen.